I'm Kate Mulgrew. And I'm Jerry Ryan. Your hosts for a very special night of television on UPN. It all begins with part one of a two-part Star Trek Voyager called Year of Hell. And continues with a new episode of the police drama, The Sentinel. Later, during The Sentinel, we'll be back with a sneak preview of Year of Hell part two and a rare behind-the-scenes look at the work of our visual effects department. We say rare because it includes a few scenes our visual effects coordinator refused to let us show. That is, until Jerry somehow managed to change his mind. I just told him resistance was futile. Stay tuned for Star Trek Voyager's Year of Hell. edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast with a non-Trekkie perspective. I'm Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt Brothers. Hello, everybody. And Paul Wilson Morris. <laughs> All right, yeah. ready for me. <laughs> <laughs> and we Matt, are such very a <laughs> lucky to be joined today by Spy Hard's own Agent Scott. How are you doing, sir? I'm ready and reporting for duty on the USS Voyager. Amazing, amazing. You infiltrated from Section mm. 31, and now we're going to find out what's been going down. So, Scott, you host Spy Hards with Cam, who mm-hmm. was the first ever person to pick an episode of Enterprise to talk about as part of this series that we're doing now, where people actually like pick an episode. We did cover enterprise uh before when we were kind of introducing ourselves to the various star trek tv shows but he was the first person to actually go yeah out of choice i want to pick an episode of star trek enterprise um so you know that was a momentous event when we did when we did that Uh, are you a fan of enterprise yourself no (laughs) (laughs) okay okay i i i watched it live as it aired, it was like my formative years when it was airing on TV. And I was like, this is the first Star Trek I get to really watch from the beginning myself. And I just and the first window I heard that the advert intro breaks. music and I just wanted to hurl myself out the nearest window. <laughs> just like, tell me this is Star Trek. You know what? You can keep it, all right? Yeah, I don't, don't want this. <laughs> Fair well, enough. Okay, yeah, so we know you don't like <laughs> Enterprise, but we always uh, do this with uh, guests we haven't done on the show before. Give us your Star Trek credentials. So... What have you seen? What haven't you seen? What are your favourites? What was your first memory of Star Trek? This story goes back to 1987, the year uh, Next Generation, Grey Star television screens, and I was born. The true year of hell. Well, <laughs> I, I brought the year of hell, yes. Uh, I was, my parents have told me I came out of the womb singing the TOS theme tune. Born and bred Trekkie. I have watched everything, everything Star Trek has ever created numerous times, and even the fan fiction. And that's a rough road to go down. <laughs> so when you say every, you're including the animated series in this, yeah? 
Absolutely. That's, that's always uh, one we have to check. Are yeah, the animated series animated. is better than some of the stuff they're pumping out now. I'll take wow. that anytime. <laughs> okay, yeah. whoa, shots fucking fired. <laughs> Shields up, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> cloaking off the starboard bow today, lads. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, what was your actual first memory of Star Trek? Obviously, you came out of the womb seeing the TOS theme, but what was your first actual memory when you first watched it and experienced it? It's hard to put a finger on exactly the first episode I ever saw because I... I definitely was watching Next Generation from the second my parents got hold of the VHS copies that you could get here in the UK. As soon as it was airing, I was watching it. I think one of my earliest memories, though, is actually seeing Undiscovered Country in the cinema. Wow. That at nice. age four. Yeah. That's incredible. I seem to recall <laughs> sitting in the cinema and enjoying Kirk and Sulu shooting at the Klingons. Just being like, fire. Yeah. So you managed to keep you awake for the whole thing, then, pretty much to the end. <laughs> Well, I loved it anyway, so it was yeah. like a dream come true for me to see it on the big screen. That is so, yeah, happy with that. But um, I, I recall watching bits of TNG in the back of my mind, um, but I we would we weren't watching it live. We didn't have Sky or anything at that point, um, and BBC didn't show it for quite a while, but we were buying the VHS tapes when they came out, so we had the whole collection. Hmm. Um, Hence and the that, that took up one it. house, and then you had to buy another one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, well, I've actually you made a house my out of VHS, VHS tapes. I've actually still got some of them here above me on my shelf. But they're about to come crashing. I thought you said above you, like in your attic or so. They're about to go crashing through with the weight of them. Like oh, no, I, I've got a select few favourites up there. Uh, there's a couple of Voyagers, actually. Have you still got a VHS player to play them? No, sir. Okay. I just love Ornamental, the box art. Like, it's, a, it's like a lost art. The, mm-hmm. the, the stuff they used to draw for these things, it's, it's quite lovely. Whereas yeah. now... Everyone's just so boring. Well, there's it? a Twitter like a just dedicated to VHS Star Trek box art, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Which is you know throws up a problem. But it's amazing they commissioned somebody to do every DS9, for example, through that entire run. What and every did, like, like Drew Struzan, or... like mini Drew yeah. Struzan, aren't yeah, they? All hand drawn every episode. Wow. There's like a little image in the middle of the tape. You know? Yeah, yeah, it, it was crazy. Like yeah, two episodes per tape, and yeah, the DS9 ones. Yeah, they were all like just like a drawing of a character's face. Mm-hmm. On every one, like with the ship, like around them, kind of thing, like uh, on every single uh, tape. And the but the TNG ones, the TNG ones were like a photo, weren't they? They were like a still from the image, and you would have the crew in the background, and the crew would shift around upon who's in the cast that season. So like Wesley was on the first few seasons of the tapes, and then disappeared. So was Tashi, yeah, Yar, yeah, and things like that. But Voyager uh, also had like a, a a print design, but it was it was done by uh, sort of CG or CG, but like special effects designed every week. But there was a every single cassette had its own artwork for that too. Like, like you say, a, a lost a lost art along with kind of movie poster art as mm. well. Um, but yeah, so you built up the VHS collection. So TNG is your first Star Trek love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of obviously saw Undiscovered Country in uh, cinemas. Had you seen the original series by the time you saw that? I think I'd seen bits and bobs. I'd definitely seen the original series movies because they were out on VHS. So my parents okay. had those. But I don't know if they'd done the reissue of the VHSs for the original series. I think they came out in the mid-90s. I seem to recall they were all. Uh, they made a big song and dance of them coming out as well. It's been 30 years since the legend began. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Voyages that would capture the imaginations of an entire generation. Strangely compelling, isn't it? Very impressive. It cannot be a phenomenon of nature. 
Star Trek. This is uh, Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, representing the Federation of Planets. Tales of Courage. Cutting. Aye, sir. Push it right to the edge. These engines are beginning to show signs of stress. Conflict. Look out, you! And strange attractions. I don't deserve this happiness. There aren't any regulations against romance, Jack. Each and every episode of the classic original series is now available for you to own. Trials like this may never come again. The legend will live forever. Yes, I think it's a name destined to go down in galactic history. The legend that is Star Trek. Energize. I was more of a TNG baby. I really wanted to sit in that beige and mahogany oval they call the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was my home. <laughs> so you're very... Did you start... So you'd already seen it all when it started coming on because like you said there was a big old gap like in terms of literally like i think tng like starts on like bbc2 in like 1990 like three years after or something like that it had been on american yeah, tv we had them as soon as they released sometimes even before the family wow. was quite a trekkie family um i wish i could say i was the cool kid at school who knew what was happening on star trek but that doesn't ever translate uh, to school <laughs> so i was just a nerd who knew what was happening in star trek i guess <laughs> And what is your favourite Star Trek series? I have a double barrel answer, and you can exclude the second one if you don't accept two answers. I would say it probably defaults back to TNG because that is my first, um, everyone's got their first version of Star Trek they tend to cling on to, if you pardon the pun. <laughs> but from like, a, as an adult, going back and revisiting them numerous times, I think Deep Space Nine is probably the, the most forward-thinking and well-written Star Trek that's ever been created. Yeah, yeah, DS9 is amazing. I think uh, we've had, heard that quite a lot, I think, in <clears> terms <throat> of people who grew up with either TNG or Voyager, and that's what they grew up with. Like, you know, and then they've since gone back and watched DS9 and been like, oh, yeah, this is this is actually the best. Yeah, it's, it's really great to see that get that, that re-evaluation, because you're right, Liam, yeah, a lot of the guests seem to be like, oh, yeah, TNG was my first, but DS9 is the best, and it's interesting yeah. that that's been the distinction, really. No one really had a DS9 as a first and then went off it. Like, it's good to see it kind of getting the, the praise it, it, it deserves, because, yeah, it's all... It was kind of lost all... in the shuffle, though, wasn't it? Mm. it was, TNG was still firing on all cylinders, and then DS9 came on the air, had that great start with Emissary, and then well, TNG was still there, so people were flocking to TNG, and then Voyager came along immediately afterwards. So the, the, the adventure show was TNG, then Voyager. So people always saw Deep Space Nine as the red-headed stepchild, if you will. Yeah, well, was, well, before you'd seen it, Matt, you only knew it as the one where they don't go anywhere, didn't you? Exactly. It's like, what is this sort of stationary oil rig of a show? Like, uh, <laughs> having not actually watched any of it, but I was just like, oh, what? I just remember catching like the opening titles every time, being like, they're just hanging. Nah. Because <laughs> I, because I had that, I had that thing. Like, all I knew about Star Trek when I was little was that it was an adventure show. It's an adventure mm -hmm. show, adventure movie. So I was like, the idea of you know stationing in it in a in a state a literal station seemed really really strange and only as as getting older and realizing you know what you can do with network tv storytelling and the, and the opportunities that arises from and then all the great lore and characters and stuff within it anyway and i think maybe it helps that it's positioned in between those other two shows and that it can kind of take what works from tng and the legacy of the movies and, and go on to influence uh, a lot more following it as well um so Scott, before you suddenly threw shade at the new Star Trek shows, so let's get into that. What's your problem? <laughs> An unmitigated disaster. 
Are you lumping all all of the new shows thus far in with that? Okay. I think to to talk about my feelings about what is new Trek now, uh, you know, Kurtzman era Trek, you have to contextualize that I've been a lifelong Star Trek fan. So when Nemesis whiffed into the cinemas, we had nothing for a very long time until JJ came back and gave us this lovely film, Star Trek 2009 which is probably one of the best Star Trek films ever made. And then we got some sequels. They happened. And then Star Trek was coming back to TV, kind of. And we had Discovery. And man, I was hyped. I consumed every bit of media I could with that show, much like I did with Enterprise and the movies. And I just got this mediocre TV show that just seemed to get worse and worse. Now, season one had Jason Isaacs, which I think he was fantastic. Uh, Season two had Anson Mount, who I think was fantastic. And I think they have great actors on Discovery and Picard but I just feel like that level of writing on the show is is just not up to par with what I was watching when I was younger now I understand there's like a, a nostalgia a roast into glasses effect but I analysed film and TV and this is what I come away with I, I have now stopped watching Discovery at the end of season 3 I cannot watch it anymore and I've stopped watching Picard as of season 2 episode 6 wow okay so you're out I'm out it's the CW Star Trek. I mean, this is kind of what we got into with Sophie Petzl, Liam, on, on her episode mm-hmm. about how it's just full of kind of catalogue good-looking people and the mentality is quite young and immature c- across all characters. And, uh, and, but it's right. I think this era is very different and it's, it's obviously speaking to different people as well, but it's definitely not the ty- same type of shows as it was before because you can certainly draw a line, uh, a through line between TNG and DS9 Voyager and all that whether it's from the era or not, but just the writing style. I think we've come to come to miss that episodic storytelling, and now everything's so bogged down in in serialization and stuff. So, Scott, do you, do you have do you have any good hopes for Strange New Worlds? Is that going to be an episodic return to something? Do you think? I I want to give you the positive, optimistic Star Trek answer, and I will. But I've been beaten down. You know, I was in the room in Las Vegas when Patrick Stewart came out onto the stage and says. Picard is back. And I lost my mind. I have never, ever grown tired of hearing from people who stop me in the street or in a restaurant. Well, no, I don't like being interrupted while I'm eating. (laughs) But um, who say to me, your show changed my life. Without Star Trek, the next generation. I might not be here. And... I always respond to those letters, to those notes, and to those uh, words when I hear them in the street. My my personal favorite, which makes me very emotional, came from a detective sergeant with the Las Vegas Police Department. He wrote to me about his life and his work, and towards the end he said, you know, there are days, I love my job, but there are days when I go home that what I have seen, what I have experienced, the cruelty, the barbarity, the viciousness, the nastiness of what I've experienced makes me despair for the future of our society and the world. But when I feel like that, I go to my video shelf and I take down Star Trek The Next Generation and I know we're going to have a future.
And that lies at the very center of what I have to tell you now. Jean-Luc Picard is back. I was doing somersaults along the ballroom. You've never seen me so energetic. And then I received Picard season one. And I think I, well, I, have, I was losing my hair at that point. I've now lost my hair. So I, I can only say it was because of Star Trek Picard season one. I blame that show. And I watched the trailers for Strange New Worlds. And I know Anson Mount is a massive fan of TOS. I've spoken with him about it. Massive fan. So I hope... I hope it gives me what I need, and that is well-written episodic television with an underlying story. Do that for me. Now, I want to preface... I will just say, to defend myself a little bit, I think there's stuff in the new Star Trek for, for other people. I just don't think it's, there f it's for me anymore, which is absolutely fine. People can enjoy it, and that's, I don't begrudge them enjoying it. I just don't like it myself. I think both situations are fine. There you go. Like, has anyone read the reviews of Strange New Worlds that have literally just come out, like, today? I've, st I've seen that they're online, but I've stayed away. Well, I have read some reviews, and literally, like, they are very, very good. I just, but I just, um, I, I didn't actually mention Lower Decks or Prodigy, and I, I actually don't mind Lower Decks. I think I find it quite funny sometimes. I'm a big Rick and Morty fan. I've spoke to Mike McMahon about the show. I like what he's doing with it. Ransom, take us out. Oh, is it time to go? Thank you so much for all that information, Captain. Okay. Shax, any update on those phaser repairs? No, and if there was an update, I would tell you. I wouldn't keep that information to myself. I'm an open book! Did someone buy an alien mood-altering plant on the station or something? Maybe everyone feels like they should know more about what's going on on the ship, like need to know stuff that they don't know, you know? The Cerritos is ready for warp, Captain. You know, your ship. Oh, just warp me already! Senior staff in my ready room now! What the hell is going on here? I heard you and Gomez back on the station. Heard what? That you're being offered a promotion to a new ship. And while I can assume I'll remain at your side, everyone else here is pretty upset. Who's on taking you with me? You aren't? So you are leaving? Why didn't you tell us? You're lucky I'm so spiritually centered or I'd snap! It's not official. Why the hell wouldn't you take your number one? I agree with you at all times. I would transfer all of you if I could, but Command doesn't like shuffling crews off California class. Oh, that's such f***ing bullshit. We are just as good as any other f***ing class. Our warp works twice as f***ing fast as any other ship in the fleet. Whoa, Mr. Billups. So, Scott, in regards to uh, this, you say that TNG is kind of you know where your heart is and ds9 is probably like you say the best however today you have chosen a star trek voyager two-parter year of hell uh two-part from season four episodes eight and nine of season four if you're looking for it on netflix or whatever streaming service you're using the ultimate weapon we have all eternity to accomplish our mission does not destroy captain there's a spatial distortion heading toward us it erases all organisms and man-made objects have been eradicated now voyager gets caught in the crossfire all hands brace for impact can a device that alters time ever be destroyed it's trying to erase us from history on the next star trek voyager don't get me wrong voyager is probably like fourth on my list of favorite shows like it's not anywhere near the bottom uh, I was watching it on its live run on, on TV and stuff. It, I, I really enjoy lots of Voyager. But this two-parter for me encapsulates what Voyager could have been 
and I think the missed opportunity of the show. And it just shows how, how cool this could have been. Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, it, according to the internet, uh, this was originally intended to be a season-long arc. Like, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a genuine year of hell. And then eventually that kind of didn't happen and they did it as a two-parter instead because, you know, I guess at the time they probably were thinking... I mean, to be fair, I mean, even DS9, although it did the Dominion War and everything like that, had not really done a proper season arc where the whole season is kind of taken up with that. Although I imagine if they had actually done it, it would have been... Because in this two-parter, like, the ship is in the dark a lot of the time. I think if they had done it over an entire season, they would have had to have done kind of episodes that are kind of unconnected to the main story and then kind of, like, come back to it occasionally. Well, you could definitely have the the degradation of the ship be spread out more and more. Yeah, yeah. Get get the light-hearted ones out of the way in the first third, and then it just gets more and more decrepit. (laughs) Yeah. Because it it started its life in season three with the episode before and after where Kess is jumping back and forth in her timeline that's where the concept comes from and she's actually on the ship that's being attacked by the Krenim she's like jumped forward in time to it now obviously um, Kess isn't in season four but originally Year of Hell's concept was going to be the season three cliffhanger and then the whole thing went down where they're like oh actually we need to get rid of someone Jennifer Leon got the cut. They were going to get rid of Garrett Wang, obviously. And then they rewrote everything and got the Borg in. Jerry Ryan turns up. And that's how you know, Scorpion happened. I never heard that Garrett Wang was, was, was likely to be let go. What was the story behind that? So they at the end of season three, they were like, we need to cut someone. Budget reasons. We're not happy where the show's going. And we're going to bring someone else in. So they're looking at bringing in Jerry Ryan. They have to make a cut because they want to keep a certain amount of cast. And they just thought that Ensign Kim wasn't going anywhere. This is this is from what I've heard him say on stage and books <laughs> I've read over the years. And they, they told him they were going to write him off. If you've seen Scorpion Part 1, he gets hit by Species 8472. And he's got a, a virus. And he's dying on the, the hospital bed in sick bay at yeah. the end of part one mm. and then in the break between the seasons garrett wang was named like number 40th on the sexiest men in the usa <laughs> and so they were like oh no garrett wang is is hot stuff we need to keep <laughs> him on the show <laughs> so the next call was jennifer leon and then you know that she got the cut and which is a shame because her character was a, a really interesting character in the first three seasons i would have liked to have oh, seen yes. Kez, trust me, watch all three seasons in a row. You'll be like, wow, this is the character I want to see grow. Her powers are gaining up. Really interesting stuff. I found more time for her on the rewatch I watched over my wife's shoulder when she was breastfeeding. (laughs) Sophie did the whole seven seasons uh, when the first baby came along three years ago. And uh, yeah, I go and picking up bits of Kez. And when she starts getting the powers, I say, oh, this is a lot more interesting. I remember it being a lot more interesting than than Ensign Harry Kim. So yeah, he never really grew, did he? I think they must be called, they must call like those coats something else in the United States. Kurtwood Smith, most famous definitely for being Clarence in Robocop. Bitches leave! 
<laughs> the, like genuinely one of the most horrible bad guys there's yeah, ever fly, been. Bobby. In, I, I think he is one of the most evil oh. hateable villains it's in chilling. cinema history it's, it's so chilling like when they murder oh, almost oh. murder Murphy and he's like na 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 with the shotgun oh, it's, it's great choices oh he is so good in that it's uh, so horrible like still haunts me still haunts me now yeah. the death of Murphy in, in Robocop so sadistic hey Clarence you still alive does it hurt does it hurt okay Panzo. Okay, let's get out of here. That freaked me out as a kid when I saw Robocop. <laughs> Shouldn't have been watching yeah. it. I See, there's well, well, you know, have done. Watched, we watched those films, didn't we? You had to get the toys and, and watch I think, the you know, series. I watched it probably when I was, I don't know, like no, you know, 10 or something. Still not as messed me up as Robocop 2. Like which, oh, uh, Robocop 2 is pretty, horrible. pretty freaky horrible. and horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Definitely a lot of horrible shit in that. Uh, I just but, yeah, like, but this is what oh happened, gosh. when we were kids we watched all those films we watched the like you know mm. we, all, we wanted to get the 18s and, out of the mm-hmm. video shop didn't we we turned out alright didn't we <laughs> says questioningly yeah. it's like but now anyone can watch anything now mm-hmm. streaming and stuff it's true it's easier I, I remember seeing um, to keep it on on brand I remember seeing Star Trek First Contact in the cinema yeah. And I think that's 96. 96. Yeah. Um, so I would have been 10. Nine or actually nine. I would have been nine. I still to this day have nightmares about that film. Do you mean the way about the bit comes out of his face? Oh, no. About the assimilation where he grabs that guy and just goes right into his neck. The, the yeah. first time you see the tubules going, I, I just think I'm going to get assimilated in my nightmares <laughs> all the time. I'm being chased by the Borg Queen. It's, it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very thrilling. First Contact's my favorite Star Trek film. And literally, I saw it in the cinema as well. And the bit near the start where he has the kind of like nightmare of mm. the like the bit of kind of metal cup poking out of his cheek. <clears throat> such a jump in the cinema when that happens. Really, really like proper body horror, mm. freaking. Mm. Um, but has anyone got an actual like? Well, like are we just going with the bullshit on IMDb? Yeah, if you got if you got the IMDb one up, I have. Yeah, yeah. Go on then, go for that, and then we can okay, expand on well, it. Right, so it's a good. Part one, Voyager comes across a Krenim time ship that's wiping whole species from existence to change the existing timeline. And in part two, a year after Voyager encounters the Krenim time ship, a badly damaged Voyager with a skeleton crew leads an armada of interplanetary ships against them. I mean, yeah. you know, sort of it kind of like it's like that's the beginning and the end of it, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So, yeah. I think yeah, the, the yeah. meat of it is that the Voyager is like pursued by Krenim Time Ships as it's in its its territory because of the the nature of the um, the weapon. Like they don't have any defense against it, mm. but it goes through their shields. It's like a time shifting torpedoes, isn't it? That the the ship sustains serious structural damage. And I remember when I was watching Voyager the first time, I watched every episode. I missed this two-parter, oh. and I was, and it kind of like took on this kind of mystique that like the year of hell was. Something, I missed something really special, and it, I picked up with years later, and I perhaps it didn't meet up my sort of uh, expectations because it's like you know it's the missing piece of the puzzle. But I, certainly on this watch, I just saw how ambitious it was and how daring it was, and I wasn't quite sure how they re- resolved it because as the ship gets more and more battle damage, and, and you've got serious casualties, plus you have Tuvok injured, I was like, how does this reset? 
like you know it, or is there like a, a does it continue from here but of course it does hit the, mm. the kind of hard reset well that 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 did kind of uh, pull me out of it a little bit of the of the suspension disbelief knowing that oh yeah this is happening in the middle of season four and things are going really bad like it's really dramatic really exciting but obviously there's got gonna have to be some kind of reset here and how that comes about and what people remember is gonna be a big factor in things because you know the ship is getting so fucked up and I'm thinking for a while I was thinking oh wow they really they really wreck it like but who's gonna repair this they're like a skeleton crew anyway on their own out there they're not gonna stop in for repairs so you slowly just counting down at the moment until it resets but luckily it doesn't dampen the effect of it all too much funny enough just before I started this one, I did I did a couple of random episodes, which included actually the Scorpion two-parter and then the gift, because I didn't realize that's when Seven and Nine came in. So I was able to kind of get her whole intro. And, you know, so they've just come out of deadly Borg space, heading into deadly Krenim space. Um, had we ever seen either the Krenim or the, or the Zal before this point? Or are they new discoveries? Well, apart from, as uh, as uh, mentioned just a moment ago, that they, they sort of appeared in a flash forward. Yes in season three but that was it you don't see them you just hear the name Krenim. Oh, the Krenim are atta- there's a Krenim torpedo mm. something 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 you never see the ship mm-hmm. or what they look like or anything like that yeah I didn't know that at all and it's, it's funny the fact that they did that the fact that they did an actual episode in season three kind of you know foreseeing this kind of shows that maybe when they did that episode they were planning for it to be the bigger season storyline kind of thing like you know because it seems weird almost to kind of like <coughs> have a moment like that just for a two-part that feels like a kind of like oh something big is coming you know it's a good tee up isn't it and i think they, they mm. did quite a good job in voyage about teeing stuff up they had me on the ten hooks like from the beginning of season three or, f- or was it four where you had a borg corpse just at the end of an episode of Dumb. mid-season three yeah mid- mid-season three and you, you know you just expect it to turn up you know any time after that and i remember there was like um Every time there was a two-parter, I was just like, is this, is this going to be the event where the Voyage finally come in? They really did tease it for a little while. It's a funny one with, with this, and it's one of the reasons why I brought this up, because with Voyager, when it was, when it was being pushed, when it was being publicised, it was about this ragtag group of Starfleet officers and the Marquis. And we were introduced to the Marquis in Deep Space Nine. We knew who they were already. That's why they were brought in. And so I was like, oh, so this is going to be like people fighting for leadership and to try and, you know, different ideologies trying to work together. And, you know, by episode three, they're all in Starfleet uniforms and best buds. Yeah, uh, yeah. we've Torres about this before issues. in yeah. terms of it's way too nighty-nights, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Jakotay, who's like the, a fucking terrorist, like, just mm-hmm. becomes the most pencil pusher of the entire lot. And, you know, there's a, there's a line in one of the early episodes where, like, we, we've only got 57 photon torpedoes. And there's this great YouTube video you can go and find of someone counting how many torpedoes they fire for the rest of the show and how it's far higher than that number. <laughs> and that's what I liked the concept of, was there was, there was a ragtag group of people that were, there's a There's a contrast of, of ideologies, and there is limited resources. They haven't actually questioned the Prime Directive and try and make their way through space. And as I say, they, it's very homogenized by episode two or three unfortunately so this coming along was like okay we have consequences mm. and that's this is why i love this episode because it, it really for me encapsulates what voyager could have been mm-hmm. yeah when they pitched this as being a whole season and they kind of got like a little bit of a thumbs up and they started coming up with ideas and pitches for what they would do for episodes they got really excited they had so many ideas there's loads of them out on like memory alpha what of episodes they were going to do uh, with this concept inside of the year of hell and then it got shut down to two episodes and, and uh, it, you know Paul said it earlier this works as a film 
this is a terrific idea for a film. And this is the Voyager film. I think this is probably the closest they get to that sort of cinematic experience as well. Yeah, it's funny you were saying about consequences, and I think that's really the key. Whereas in this two-parter, it feels like the consequences are only ever so long. You know, we jump from essentially day one to like day 47. So Mm. by its nature, it kind of jumps around, which makes for quite interesting, like filling in the pieces storytale going of, of having to imagine what they've gone through between each day but if it was the whole season arc idea you could really expand that out properly and then you really could have consequences mean something even if you ended the whole season with the reset you would still have consequences from within that so you know you would have Tuvok getting injured in like episode 8 or something and he would stay that way until at least yeah. the end of the season I'm, I'm looking for an episode for a centre for Vulcan and uh <laughs> 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 He did his his standalone episode for his blindness. That would have been good. It's it's funny. I was just looking up some quotes from the people behind it. Um, Brian Fuller said on a podcast about how it was Rick Berman rejecting the season-long idea, saying how, you know, the the idea would be to go back to every once in a while um, to remind the audience that this is a larger story, but it was rejected because Deep Space Nine made Rick Berman allergic to serialized storytelling, violently so. And he says, like, you know, I remember Brandon uh, going over to Rick's office with all this enthusiasm and coming back broken and his head hanging low and having to break it to the writing staff. <laughs> and it says, as for why Deep Space Nine didn't have the same struggle, Fuller explained that DS9 showrunner Ira Bear didn't give a fuck what Berman said. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, I don't care. This is what we're it, doing. If you don't like it, it's fine. It's you say that because I was going to bring up the fact that uh, Scott was talking about the whole marquee thing about how, like, you know, you expect the marquee stuff to be really intense. We've been introduced to them in DS9. And that's the thing. The episodes, the marquee episodes of DS9 are way more, like, intense than any of the yeah. stuff mm-hmm. in I just Voyager. watched For the Uniform, oh, with, uh, which is, like, yeah. it's Moby Dick. Which is you betrayed your uniform! <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> that episode is amazing. Like, I think, yeah, where it's just, great. like, yeah. So you good. You never get anything as intense as that in I, I, I That was a first time watching me, like, two nights ago. I was, like, blown away. And, yeah, Brooks was on fire at that one, yeah. literally. So. I mean, he goes so hardcore at him at the end, doesn't yeah. he? He's yeah. just basically, like, in absolutely no compromise whatsoever. That's amazing. <laughs> So that's a one as a recommendation from the Spotlight crew and guest today. Then for the uniform season five, mm. DS9. Oh, yeah, the whole watch thing. Watch Space Nine. Watch the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Watch the whole thing. But that is like, a really, really good episode. That's where I'm up to at the moment. So I'm, it's, skip, I'm, in, I'm uh, in a good place. Skip move along home. Don't watch that. I know. I can't <laughs> skip now. I'm, I'm watching everyone. <laughs> <laughs> good on back. Moraine. One, two, three. <laughs> I remember the dance. Oh, oh I is that, that one? I haven't seen mm. it, but I've heard it in a weird like fan song. Oh, oh like, God. Yeah. Like, I'm in for it now. It's going to be from the high highs to the low lows. <laughs> I mean, that, what, what season's that? One. Oh, okay. You've, you've done it. You pull me through. You, oh, you've... no. I, I, okay. I, did, I didn't see that one. <laughs> of course the Rubicon. That's fine. Oh, didn't you only start watching every one? I saw it from the season two, like, finale. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so oh, it's man. okay. Oh, where the, gem, the search, isn't it? Where yeah, the gem had yeah. I started from yeah. the, where it started mm. to serialised. I've, I've seen it for Smash Wheel season one, but, like, as soon as Sophie reached that, my wife, like, reached, like, the gem had I'm like, um, we're going to watch it now together. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amazing. So... Let's just talk about uh, quickly who wrote and directed this episode. So written by Brandon Bragger and Joe Menosky. So obviously we've talked about those guys a lot on the uh, podcast. They are kind of, you know, top tier Star Trek 90s writers. They're kind of cross the board and all of the shows and stuff like that. Uh, First episode directed by Alan Croker, who directed 13 episodes of Deep Space Nine. 
uh, 13 episodes of Voyager and 13 episodes of Enterprise. So he very much, he had it in his contract. I will only direct <laughs> 13 episodes. But not only that, but he's the man who directed the finale for DS9, the finale for Voyager, and the finale for Enterprise. So not only was he like, right, 13 episodes only, and I've got to direct the fucking finale <laughs> as well. Like, literally, the last like you spread episode. out my 12 throughout your run, but then save my last contractual yeah, one for your last, last episode, episode please. Show, they obviously were happy with what he did with the DS9 mm. finale and were just like, this is the guy. He's going to direct every finale now. And he didn't let him down until these are the voyages, apparently. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I'd, argue, I'd argue against Endgame. I'm not a big fan of that one. Oh, you're not but, a fan uh, of Endgame either. I, yeah. I haven't seen Endgame yet, but I, these are the voyages. The one is the one that has Oof. a reputation. That's a, that's a, I mean, that was pitched as like a farewell to Star Trek. I get where they're coming from, but yeah, it's it's a massive stinker. It's it's up there with um, Shades of Grey season ooh, two next ooh, generation, with, like that the is... worst episodes of all time. Oh yeah. man, Shade, bringing up Shades of Grey, that is like yeah, that's 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 bad. Shades of Brown, okay. yeah, Shades of Shine. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and uh, Alan Croker, he also other things he directed. He was like you know a, a, a TV director, did loads of kind of TV sci-fi episodes of Firefly, Battlestar, loads of stuff um, but i did spot that he directed episodes of tnt which is the mr t spin-off series from the 18 where mr t is accused of murder and has to clear his own name and becomes a private eye i was like i've never heard of this show it sounds amazing excuse me mr queen sir i'd like to talk to you it's all right are you a member no, sir. Just a man who don't like the way you do business. I don't recall ever doing business with you, Mr. Uh... T.S. Turner. And it seems you've been leaning pretty hard on some people I know. Oh, have I now? And I want to know why. Nice suit, big man. Cooley, brother. I'm not talking to you. And the second episode was directed by Michael Vija, uh, who again is kind of like uh, a TV director. We've talked about this guy Dark before unit. because he directed Empoch Noor from DS9, mm-hmm. which we obviously covered in an episode with Adam Johnston. He also directed Rocks and Shoals, which if you've heard our episode with Dean Burnett, uh, you know that's one of his favourite ever episodes. And he also directed Latent Image, which we obviously covered in our first Voyager episode. So he's a guy we've spoken about quite a few times um, before. But yeah, this episode, uh, this two-parter, it does feel a bit like a movie in terms of like its its storyline. It kind of feels big enough mm-hmm. as an arc to be potentially a film because of the fact that you know halfway through you've got that huge cliffhanger where they essentially it's like abandoned ship. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah structurally it's, it's very movie like. And it goes yeah, yeah, you feel flows like in that, that same feels way. really big. Because like in a weird way it's another kind of temporal anomaly kind of episode, isn't it? Which we've actually seen a lot. I mean even uh we, we recently did the Fraser episode and for that I watched cause and effect uh from TNG and that's another episode that's kind of actually similar stuff of kind of you know they're almost like repeating the same thing a little bit and stuff so they've done this kind of idea before but I think because of the the powers of the villains essentially the fact that they have more control over what's going on I think that adds an added element of danger to it so when we get to that cliffhanger at the end of part one, it really does feel like the stakes are raised perhaps higher than they have been in some of those one-off episodes that have dealt with similar kind of themes. 
does the uh, blinding actually happen in the first part as well? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like, you know, injury to your one of your principal characters as well. Things have shifted, haven't they, straight away. In this, you see Janeway become the ultimate badass that she is. Yeah. When she flies that ship in at the end and, you know, time's up. That's terrific television. Yeah, at least three of my you notes know, here are just Janeway's being badass again. Because in part yeah. one, she's got, like, battle stations, and in, and then part two, she's just running into that room from fire, like, tell the doctor to prepare for burns, because I'm about to go in myself. And then, yeah. like, swatting him away to, like, stop him, like, treating her properly, and then, yeah, that end part, it's just like, yeah, everything she does is just insane. There's also this great bit, you know, I think when they're about under attack again, and she just sort of sinks back into her chair again, and she's, like, you know, goes through the, she's been through the routine, she really sells that, like, you know, it's down day mm. 77 of this ordeal, mm. and just that kind of world weariness of this routine. Yeah. And then she has the fantastic scene at near the end of the second part with Tuvok, which I think is the best scene in the show, like, I've seen, like, in ages. Like, I've, I mean, in terms of Voyage, I can't think of one of the better scenes, really. Tuvok, I can hear your objections already. I am not leaving. Given Voyager's damaged state, the probability of your surviving an armed conflict is marginal. Oh, I know the odds. But I have to stay. Voyager's done too much for us. Curious. I have never understood the human compulsion to emotionally bond with inanimate objects. This vessel has done nothing. It is an assemblage of bulkheads, conduits, tritanium. Nothing more. Oh, you're wrong. It's much more than that. This ship has been our home. It's kept us together. It's been part of our family. As illogical as this might sound, I feel as close to Voyager as I do to any other member of my crew. It's carried us, Tuvok. Even nurtured us. And right now, it needs one of us. I respect your decision. Live long and prosper, Captain. Same to you, old friend. Beautifully scored as well. I was really moved by the music I think in that section it really sold that like this could have been like a season seven where it's saying bye to the ship it's got mm. us this far but like actually this is the end for it and I'm gonna see it see it through that it, moment where she gives in to the hug with Tuvok and like for like, yeah. a split second she releases herself from that restraints of being a captain and the pressure and she's like I just need this comfort for a second and then you see it snap back in again and she just like stiffens up again yeah. Uh, that moment still brings a small tear to my eye. It's amazing acting from Kate Mulgrew and Tim Russ, actually, to be fair. Like, he even said, reading some of his review interviews afterwards, he really struggled to play a blind man. And I think he does a really good job mm. in this. But both of them in that scene, where is that stuff now? That This is some top-notch acting. Mm. Well, it's the connection yeah. between two crew members. You're not going to get that in, mm. the, <laughs> in New Track, are you? Well, it's also who, who are the bridge crew? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh with as well you got like she's lacking chakotay like her right hand yeah. man it's like gone mm -hmm. like you know he's been taken from her for the, for most of this time as well isn't it uh for months so she's having to do all this on her own she hasn't made to kind of like share that burden with anybody else yeah it, i feel the ending you know with the kind of suicide run on the ship is justified by what you've seen go before it it, it doesn't feel like oh we we'll just do this because it's cool 
it does build to that really well you can follow her like Janeway's arc throughout the episode you know mm. after the first attack and Chakotay says we should split up the crew abandon ship and try and make to the other side of Krenum space and she's like no yeah, we don't I love do that we're that mode is amazing where she's like abandon ship the answer is no like, yeah. like yeah, she's just like fuck you Jacoby I love the way yeah. Jacoby also goes after she says no he's like oh that was a test I uh, knew you were going to say no <laughs> that's uh, fine like he's like fuck off Jacoby no no he said, no he said it wasn't his favourite it wasn't his best idea like he, it wasn't one yeah, he was like, oh, I don't know who came yeah. up with that one uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I think it was like, like, uh, yeah. definitely a Harry Kim idea it's not yeah, that guy yeah, yeah, actually, oh, no, you said uh, it was Harry Kim I will send him to stop his racket myself 20 laps but then like, <laughs> then, like, 20 minutes later, she abandons ship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that I think that, but that doesn't that just show how desperate it's got to me? Yeah. I went, I watched that going, oh, at this point, she's mm. like, nah, definitely not. But because we mm. get the elongated time frame mm-hmm. in terms of, because mm. we actually, from the very beginning, the opening shot says day one. And then occasionally throughout the episodes, it comes up like, you know, day 52, day 365, like you're throughout. Like, we know that it's been a long time. We see how much more desperate it's got. I think it kind of, you know, makes it a bigger, more pivotal moment to be like, well, at that point she said no, but now this is how bad it's mm. got. That at this point yeah. she's like, well, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah now it's just systematically it. losing yeah. the people around her and, and, you know, from certain people down to whole swaths of the crew. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if, because Paris and Jacoti spend a lot of time over with the Kremlin, of course, I wonder, you know, should, should one of them have just fully defected by this point? Because they're over there for a good few months like if one of them had just gone fully bad well, like with them. pretty much like <laughs> yeah. yeah and then they, they have to live with like, somehow the memory syndrome. of it after the reset they're like oh yeah i'm allowed back am i even though i was a traitor but that's it if it had been i think if it was going to be a season-long story i would have loved for this to have been the final season so then you can literally just wreck the ship up and then by the very end it's either <laughs> sad end, destroy suicide, or they get home at that exact moment. I don't know, somehow. But like to have to have it as like a big bow out so that it doesn't have to be a reset would be a really interesting way to go. But isn't it funny, if you look at what we've chatted about for the last hour, we mentioned Discovery, and we said, oh, it's, it's too much serialization. I want more episodics. And then we talk about this, and you're like, I want to see Year of Hell over a whole season. I want well, this. I think we wanted it in the DS9 vein, in terms of, like, there would be smatterings of kind of, like, you know, individual episodes, but, you know, there would be some continuity mm. damage to the ship. Yeah. I think you couldn't keep up the intensity that, of this danger no, at all times. Too dark, every I think episode. that's the thing. It's like, but this is what Voyager did promise, in mm-hmm. the way it set out its stall, that we would be diminishing torpedoes, that things would be running out, but we only got to find that amount of crew mm. members. You know, every death matters yeah, it's the Battlestar you know, thing not, isn't it and they actually Absolutely. did like the number of people like, left alive on Battlestar yeah. I, you know I think this is the thing Ronald D. Moore went on and did that he went and fulfilled on the promise of Year of Hell with Battlestar and I do think you know that is vibes not probably right appropriate to start at Voyager mm. but I think there's a middle ground that perhaps could have been there I always point to um, another season finale I think season 5 into 6 I think Equinox yeah uh, with the USS Equinox and that being like the alternate version the dark universe mirror universe version almost of what voyager could have been and how they end up abandoning and betraying the prime directive to get home quicker and i always i always liked that episode because again it's another look at what voyager could have been if they'd been a bit braver uh, if berman and paramount had actually given them sort of the free reign to do what they wanted and felt was best for the show yeah these two two parts are the ones i put, put together in that sort of what if category and yeah but i think that's also a really successful thing as well is exploring the ramifications of your actions 
and pushing our characters to their extremes. You look at like the inner light from Next Generation. That's watching Picard die, and he has to live his life out on in this dream realm that turns out to be a real place a long time ago. And this is the same thing. We're watching Janeway live out her life, and she sacrifices herself for the crew. Well, Janeway is so fucking badass. You know, I really like it when Kate Mulgrew gets a chance to shine of just how kind of badass and uncompromising Janeway can be. Like, because this is something I often ask uh, people on the show, Scott. Was she right to kill Tuvix? No. No? no. Whoa, whoa, my God, this is... Right, okay, come on. Why why do you think she was wrong? (laughs) There was no proof that putting them back in the transporter was splitting them out to two people. So you would be sacrificing one definite life for two maybe lives. Now, I know you wanted your crew members back. I completely understand that. But ultimately, you were killing someone for the chance you could bring two people back. And it was without consent. Wow, wow, that's yeah. interesting. I, 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 like, I agree so, with that. We'll, yeah. We will definitely discuss it because we are definitely going to cover Tuvix at some point and we will discuss it because I think it's amazing. And well, Tuvix was effing annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. and Mulgrew, I think, is so incredible in that episode. Like, you know, that mm-hmm. fast because she is the only one as the bollocks to do that fine, to go for it. Uh, it's funny that you say what's interesting, like, because I look forward to watching it again because I didn't remember that it wasn't a sure thing. Like, in my head, I've gone, it was a sure thing, it's two lives for one, that makes sense. Like, I think, yeah, of course she kills him. But it's interesting that, I mean, you will have seen it a lot more times than me. Mm. Like, um, that actually it's not, you you were saying, not a sure thing, that she wasn't actually, she was no guarantee that it would work, because that obviously does make it slightly Mm -hmm. different. Because obviously it does work, they do get them back and everything like that, so you can go, oh, well, she was right, because, look, two lives saved for Mm. one. So, but if there wasn't a guarantee, I don't remember that there wasn't a guarantee. Like, so that that adds an extra element of uncertainty in it. So that's really interesting. That's, um, that's one of the other episodes I watched this week, randomly. It's, it's really random. Yeah. I just picked, like, some out of my list to do before Year of Hell, and it was Two Vic, Scorpion, and The Gift. It is really tense and uncomfortable, that whole end part, because I think, I think that guy playing Two Vic does a really good job at kind of essentially pleading for his life but without resorting to begging because <laughs> he has that part I mean, he, he, he is just, sort of begging he, he is a little bit yeah but he's very much like yeah. okay you know this is if this is your decision and, and and yeah there is that element of like I guess this should work but there is no real guarantee and it, it, it's only because it does work fine that it all kind of gets absolved but up until that moment it's like oh Christ Janeway's kind of going right ahead with this Execution essentially, it's really I mean, like it it's something I've always said. I don't worked. think Picard would have pulled the trigger. Mm. No, oh, Picard definitely not. Well, well, that should be the barometer for how you judge a captain in a Star Trek mm. show is would they murder Tuvix? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You should Jason put... Isaacs did it, you'd ask him twice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, Wait, we're bringing Tuvix back. No doubt. <laughs> I didn't even know. I just want to kill this guy. <laughs> he doesn't quite <laughs> try and sleep with him first, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, like, then that, you, you are right. That would be amazing. Like, just do, just do that episode again every time but with a different captain each time and it's just two different like people from that show's crew melded together and just whatever their name compartment two will be who do you meld in like uh Uh, who do you meld in enterprise in enterprise (laughs) know their names first uh so (laughs) (laughs) so wait one sec because it's tuvok 
is and Neelix. And which, who's the other person? Neelix. 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 It's Neelix. Tuvok and Neelix. So, so it's Reed and and Flox. So yeah, Flox. Reflux. No personality. Tons of personality. Yeah. 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 Because Tuvok is the is Tuvok the science? Or, no, security, isn't he? Tuvok. Tuvok is yeah. Tuvok is yeah, security. So Tuvok is security. So, so yeah, Reed. you're right. It would be yeah. It would have to be Flox because although he isn't the Neelix position, he looks a lot like Neelix. <laughs> Flox. <laughs> and I'm Malcolm sorry Reed. to all Talaxians out there and Denobulans. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. mean to like, so categorise you Rex, together. Rex on Enterprise. <laughs> yes, that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A great or, name. Or Reox. Reox. Yeah. Like, yeah, it sounds uh, like some shampoo. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know, Archo. He's so kind of unreadable. Like, there's nothing kind of like... Archer's so kind of enigmatic. Well, he's making up the rules as he goes. So whatever, like, you know, they decide becomes the prime director from that point onwards. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. He's like, I've just, I've just rewritten well, I, the prime director. I love... But we see Janeway make questionable calls for seven years. Mm. And at the end, she still gets promoted when she gets back. So, you know, clearly they read the reports and go, yeah... It's okay. It's a bit problematic, but like we'll just still, you still got home, so let's let's do it. When you're out in the wild, yeah. you know, justify that's the kind means. Of what it is right, you know, way yeah, out, way yeah. out in the. She, be, she she should have been busted back to Benson, like you know, no which one is knows funny. what she's writing in her logs out in deep space. She's just like she's gone. Yeah, it was really great. I was amazing. Oh, she just, <laughs> it's all handwritten in the last episode. Chamber. It's going to be in the pale moonlight. She's like, add ah, delete. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I, you know, I think she she makes the hard decisions. Space. The great unknown. Only now we're going to know it a little better. I noticed that in this, Janeway randomly starts doing her own version of Space, the final frontier. Towards the beginning, she has Space, Mm -hmm. the great unknown. I was like, oh, that never caught on. That's the beginning of the Astrometrics Lab, isn't it, scene, where you've got the whole cast there. Yeah. I thought it was a, that was really nice, because I like I, it's the first time I've been watching Voyager for a long while, with DS9 being the one I'm going through. But to see them all there with this kind of like nice warm reintroduction to the, the family. And they're talking about them as a family already at season four. And, and a very humorous Picardo moment where he walks around and does his uh, speech that they're all desperate for to be cut off. Thank you all for coming. We've got a lot of work to do, so... I'd like to say a few words, if I may. I've prepared a speech for this occasion. When I was first activated on Stardate 48315, and I found myself mano a mano with the Delta Quadrant, I didn't think we'd survive a week, let alone three years. There was strife. There was discord. You were all at each other's throats. But over time, I've had the pleasure and pride of watching this crew learn to work together as colleagues, even friends. Here, here. <laughs> Who would have thought that this eclectic group of voyagers could actually become a family? Starfleet, Maquis, Klingon, Talaxian, Hologram, Borg, even Mr. Paris. Granted, we've had our share of difficulties. One might say we've seen the best of times and the worst of times. I'd now like to recount some of those times from my unique perspective. Under the category of best of times, I invite you all to recall the moment Bridge when to the I... captain. Janeway here. We're being hailed. A vessel off the port bow. On our way. Well, perhaps we could all reconvene later. The setup for the episode is yet another, oh, we found another way, quick way to get home, isn't it? Which is the setup for a lot of episodes of Voyager, let's face it, is like, oh, we've just found a way to get home. Oh, we found a quicker way it's to get home. It's uh, basically Samurai Jack, isn't it? You're like, oh, I've got another time portal I found to go back. 
go back to the past. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, who's uh, Voyager's Aku? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got to say, watching this because I never skip the title sequence of Voyager. Never, never, never skip it. It's so so good, mm-hmm. incredible. Like not only incredible title sequence, but it's literally it, it probably is my favourite theme of them all. It's just beautiful. I'll throw a question to you guys. Just talking about the credit sequence of Voyager. Have you ever seen the hidden eye of Tuvok? Well, no. I'll I'll send you a photo of it after we've recorded this, and you can share it online if you'd like. But okay. when the Voyager goes to warp right at the end, dun, 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 in the nebula there is the. Well, I don't think it, it looks very much like it. If it was purposeful or not, I don't know. But the eye of Tuvok is uh, like his with his Vulcan eyebrow and everything is inside the nebula. Whoa, I mean, that is very bizarre. I, I know. I just like Tim Russ just came into the editing suite on the first day, just like yeah, and left him. They left him alone for five minutes. Draw, draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> <laughs> Did he just oh, want just it like... to be like Doctor Who or something? He was like, can we have my face in the title sequence? <laughs> like, but Tim, you're not the star. Like, no, no, just get my there. He just gets his guitar out and starts Amazing. playing. I have to watch that. Look out for this. <laughs> but one thing that always strikes me with this show because it's funny. It's not really talked about in the same way because with um, DS. I think probably because DS9 is the big epic story arc when it's got lots of impressive space battles in it. There's always chat online about, oh, you know, if they made uh, a DS9 HD, because obviously DS9 is still not in HD, and everything like that, and often people do like amazing uh, passes of, of making certain sequences HD online. There are ones where you can see like space battles from DS9 in HD. It does look incredible. It looks amazing. Um, it does make you wish they did go back and like you know do the HD kind of remaster of it. But I don't see as many people talking about making Voyager HD, and obviously that's the same thing. Like there's still only SD I think, kind of Voyager. I think they just know that DS9 has to come first. Like yes, you know they yeah, weren't going to skip it. I think also there's more reliance. Well, actually the entire run of Voyager CGI, whereas I think DS9 switches from models to CGI fairly early on. But there's like it would be less expensive by virtue of the fact there's like they could just go back to the 35mm composites and right, put it together. Right, also those right. big well, pew pew space battles people just want to see in 4K. Yeah, um, yeah. Have, you ever, yeah. have any of you ever well, seen the What We Left Behind documentary they made? I haven't yet. I know that has sequences I'm saving it, it to when I finish the show because I know they, talk, they do pitches for season 8 in it so that's why I can't dive in just right. yet and they, they there is they do upscale that entire battle scene from sacrifice of angels they've done that they've remastered it in 4k so you do see that there <coughs> and pay attention you may also see me and cam Ooh. we are in that film oh you're in the film mm-hmm. what just randomly because you were uh, in an or in an audience at a convention or something no or no you they, did, in it? they recorded a bunch of talking heads at one of the star trek conventions in vegas years ago and a couple of our friends actually have like their whole like their actual talking head is on screen whereas me and Cam are reserved to like we're in a scrolling bar at the bottom and you just see our faces next to each other like talking <laughs> but you can't hear us and that's really frustrating because I thought I had a really witty point <laughs> but I'm on film so I'll take it oh yeah. amazing that's nice that's quality like uh, yeah 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 like it does all look amazing I think, I think it's it just seems weird now that something as huge as Star Trek well, it, Paramount Plus may be the answer, as we know. Like, yeah. I never thought we'd see the day that motion picture would get its upscale, like or its redone in for the director's edition. Yeah, for the director's edition, and here it is. You know, the day has arrived, and you know, apparently, all accounts, it looks fantastic. Can't wait to see it myself. But I think that's the thing; they can now test 
the metrics for that. You know, is there an appetite for old Star Trek being revisited? I also, I think that they actually could do the project now with the technology that's place that we've arrived at more ch cheaply, but to a higher quality than could have been attempted. For example, when the, when the original series was remastered in the early 2000s. And so it probably will arrive at a time where it can be done maybe cost effectively. I would love to see a Blu-ray version of Deep Space Nine and, and Voyager, uh, 100%. I just, um, I, I always think about, um, I don't know if anyone here is a big video game guy, but like Capcom and Resident Evil. Mm. They remastered all of their original Resident Evil games, made HD remasters and, and remakes of them. But the only reason they did it, it wasn't to please the fans. It was just because they didn't want people playing old-looking games. So when they have like a, when they when you buy Resident Evil Two online now, you can't buy the original version. You have to buy the remake. I, I imagine if Paramount did do it, it would just be because they could say all of our shows are in HD. Yeah, well, that's the thing. This is what I mean in terms of for me, it just feels weird that a franchise as gigantic as Star Trek, there are huge swathes of it. I mean, we, you know, fourteen seasons worth that are not available in HD, that they're in SD. And to a lot of people, like, it's funny because I happen to watch this, these this two-part on my new 4K 58-inch, like, TV. And it's one of those weird things where the basic, the better your TV gets, actually stuff that hasn't been remastered, kind of the shittier it looks, mm -hmm. rather than, like, the better. And it's like watching it, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, obviously, uh, to me, like, I don't care at the end of the day in terms of, like, it's fine. Like, I mean, I'd like to see an HD version, but, you know, and I watch loads of, like, archive TV and stuff like that that's, that's never going to be kind of, you know, given H or not even possible to give HD treatment. Old, like, British shows that are shot on videotape, stuff like that, all, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've got no problem with it, but I do think someone young, like try and watch like Voyager or DS9 it might be a stumbling block for them because it does look fuzzy it just looks old because it, it hasn't got that sharpness or that clarity I think, I think it's portraying like they really like, pull out all the stops of this episode it's clearly like they did a lot on the art direction a lot of that work isn't coming through yes, so I think an episode it. like this could really benefit from it you know the, the extra detail and so this is a you know, handsomely produced show as well you know it's shot film the sets are brilliantly designed yeah, I think there's plenty of scope that it would look really good and you can really appreciate some of the camera choices. I think, you know, we're seeing them, but for a mirror darkly and particularly for episodes like Empot Noor, where we saw this was, you know, very well directed and very well shot. Like a lot of those lens choices are very, you know, hard to kind of detect or discern in Saturday Death. I think the artistry that, you know, sometimes these are directors working on a very limited schedule and limited budget, we're still able to pull off, isn't really coming through as well. But we, we live in hope. Do you want to do your final thoughts first then, Paul? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I just say, uh, no, just give me a minute. because Okay, you, all right. You, you always... Scott, give us your final thoughts on this episode. It's interesting. Star Trek uh, two-parters have a weird history of doing a really good setup and a really bad payoff. Best of Both Worlds Part 1 is amazing. Best of Both Worlds Part 2 is passable. And that happens in most Star Trek shows. The second part isn't as great. I think this is a rare occurrence where the follow-up is as good as it starts off and it pays itself off very well. Now, I have a problem with the reset button. I don't like that. I would have loved there have been some sort of repercussions going forward, but that's my opinion on Voyager altogether. I would love to have seen more repercussion. But overall, it's still probably in my top five Voyager episodes of all time, and I'm glad I got to revisit it for this. And I will just say... I do love that Anorax has the Ron Swanson spinning table from Parks and Recreation as his captain's chair. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. 
Yeah, this was a this was a blinder of a two-parter. Like I've I've seen you know more than ten, less than twenty, I'd say Voyager episodes now. But this I could tell this is one something special that really stands out. You know, as much as we've said we can see this as a as a season-long arc, and we definitely can. I think as it's presented here as a two-parter anyway, it's. Uh, really benefits the kind of compressed timeline while still giving that narrative space for them, for the characters to grow. And as we've said, you know, we can we can chart Janeway's arc across just these two episodes, but encountering a lot of time. And we've seen that before in, in stuff like The Inner Light with Picard, you know, episodes where big swaths of time get compressed down into one or two episodes of, of show for us, but we get to feel the effects of how it changes their characters. And this is just a really interesting one, as it is such dire straits, and getting to see how these characters and crew kind of react with increasingly dire odds. And it, you know, right from the start, it feels like things are pretty bad. The ship gets so fucked up so early that it's really a testament that they're not all just going, oh man, you know, we're so fucked, like, let's just give up. It's, they really do push on through, and I think a lot of that is through Janeway in this. I think it's a really standout two-parter for her. I think the set design and everything in general is a triumph here. I think it would be all too easy to just knock a couple of lights out and tip a table and say it was you know, a battle-ravaged version of Voyager, but I think you really get the sense that this is the kind of hell they have been living in for this long. You get to see a lot of people make really tough choices, even down to like when the Doctor has to just casually shut the door on that corridor as it's all blowing up and essentially kill two people. It's like, it feels like it is real in the moment, and I think that's that goes a long way. I think Kurtwood Smith's villain is really good as well. I think it's a really interesting, nuanced villain. He's He's not all just... You know, megalomaniac shouting. He's he's got motives. He's got reasons for doing what he's doing. He gets it's the rare ending I think where he gets essentially a happy ending as well, and you don't feel like that's a cop out or or bad. I think he would be someone really good to kind of come back again as well if they were going to do more with him or or the race in general. But I think if this is just it for him, then this is a really good succinct kind of story. Yeah, it's it's really it's really out there for me. Paul, are you ready to go now? Or do you want me yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. I know, I think it's, you're right, you hit on it, Matt. I think Kurtwood Smith's a really important part of this success of this episode because of the, you know, he has just enough, a sliver mm-hmm. of humanity to make an absolute monster compelling. And, you know, actually, Chicote sees that, that there's an element of something you can deal with. Yeah. There's there's a reason for this. And, it, you know, obviously he wants to kind of, like, get back to something. And, it, you know, once he has his piece, it's like everybody else is going to get theirs. I think I've covered my, my gym falls. I think it's a great episode. Like I was really happy to finally discover it years after the fact. I wish I'd seen it in the run of the episodes because it would have been, I don't know, like a 10 year old me would have loved it. Yeah, finally, really, I just think the, the ending, I wasn't quite taken with the the whole thing hinging on the guy being less of a dick to Janeway. That was, the, that was the one thing that changed. That kind of got to go, we'll go around. <laughs> uh, it, was really, it was just maybe just a little bit week for me i felt there should have been a little bit of they inherited some kind of knowledge of what they've been through a bit in a light sense but i don't know mm. it really doesn't work for the, for the time travel bit but that was just the bit that for me that just felt like the slightest cop out but that's my one little small nitpick okay so um yeah i i think this is very good two-parter of Star Trek. It's an interesting one for me in terms of the fact that, yeah, it was originally intended as this kind of season-long arc because, weirdly, there are elements of it that I think would have worked better as a season-long arc and elements that I think do work better as a two-parter. The ending, the kind of happy ending that the kind of villain of the piece of Kurtwood Smith, Anorax, uh, gets, 
I actually think that would have worked better if it had been an entire season in terms of because I think almost it feels like him getting that feels like a character maybe you've known longer. And like you say, he is quite a complex, nuanced villain. And I kind of think that would have come across even better over an entire season. And I actually think the whole thing about uh, the reset, weirdly, although you think that it would be more kind of like offensive like in a season finale, but actually I kind of feel because here it just feels like you could take the two parts out and it is just like an individual, like you said, it's like a Voyager movie almost. I kind of think if it happened at the end of the season and they've been through loads of stuff and now they didn't remember, maybe in the next season, occasionally they do get memories of it or something weird like that. And that kind of kind of, you know, can play out as repercussions um, would have been interesting. You could have had like the grand finale and this year of hell could have been like, you know, a real like individual standalone season kind of like arc and ended in that way of just like, oh, that that is a true, this season is one locks off kind of story. I think that could have been quite interesting. Um, I really like Janeway's battle hair uh, that they have in this, like, because it's obviously meant to look like, unkempt or something like that, like she's been rocked about, but it actually still looks as quaffed as like ever, <laughs> but just in another way. It's almost like her hair in this is almost like, like pre-distressed jeans, you know what I mean? But they've kind of like put the rips in them already. But she is great in this, Kate Mulgrew, really badass like, all the way through. She has loads of moments where she really feels like she's going a bit Captain Kurtz like, on the ship. Like the bit where the Doctor tries to relieve her of her command. Mm. And she's pretty much like, you're going to have to kill me! <laughs> like, yeah, if you want to take me out. Like, yeah, and that's really good. And like you say, uh, Scott, you point out that the, the Doctor like has that really great kind of moment where essentially he has to like lock two people out. That's, and that clearly has a real effect on him. Like, you know, that was almost reminding me of, like, the cruel sea or something like that. Like, you know, uh, actually, like, locking those guys, like, away and then hearing their screams, like, as they die. And, you know, as usual, Picardo is great. Like, even, like, he hasn't got a huge amount to do um, in this two-parter, but he's fantastic in all his moments here. I, I found it interesting that they didn't kind of quite pick up on the whole thing of him relieving her from duty. Again, this is thing about if it had been a season-long arc, I think you could have maybe had more fallout from that because it did feel like a bit like he's like, well, I relieve your duty. She's like, nah, mate, see you later. <laughs> then, like, you know, and he said, there's no kind of follow-up. And I was kind of like, oh, would have been interesting to see where that could have gone if you had more time to play with. And there's a few moments like that, um, like Jakotay kind of essentially being a turncoat, because he does sort of go to the other side for, for a second, because he has real sympathy with the villain and stuff like that. I think that could have played out longer. One of the few stories where I actually like Paris, you think, oh, he's getting on with the guys of actually, he's kind of playing them and everything like that. And he's the one saying, Chakotay, what are you doing? Like, you know, we need to get... And they're having a bit of conflict. Again, that's something where that could have been really good for that character to have that as a longer storyline where Chakotay 
and Paris are prisoners, or even like when at the beginning of part two, they pull Jacote out of like what is essentially solitary confinement, and he's got like a massive tash where they pull him out, and by the next scene, he's had a shower and a shave and everything like that, and he's absolutely fine. I'm like, wait a second, he just said he's been in fucking like solitary confinement for like two months or something, like you know, like it was sure that he's not no hard time PTSD for Jacote. You know, I think these are the kind of things you could have played out more instead he just comes straight mm-hmm. in sits down for the mimosian banquet with uh Kurtwood smith that reminded me of um legion <laughs> in red, red dwarf, dwarf where it was just like <laughs> <this> <laughs> <emotion> <laughs> <and> <laughs> put the, the venetian chopsticks like <laughs> please join us mimosian cuisine is quite acceptable for mechanoids indeed it has long been a dream of mine to sample its unique flavors let the meal begin I'm sorry, of course. Not all of you can use Mimosian antimatter chopsticks. I'm fully versed, Legion. For my cooking duties, I am programmed to be proficient in all known off-world eating techniques, including Jovian boogle hoops and the often lethal Mercurian boomerang spoon. But the others? Antimatter chopsticks. We use them all the time. Can't even remember what a fork looks like. Don't let a few congealed custard stains down Lister's Long John's delude you into thinking we're not sophisticated. It's this weird kind of, you know, game of two hearts where I think it's a really impressive, good two-parter, but at the same time, I can totally see how it could have been a longer story. So I think there's positives and negatives to that. But it's definitely really strong. Yeah. Um, Scott, you have a podcast, Spy Hearts. We haven't talked about it yet. Usually we talk about that front, but we won't notice we haven't probably because we had Cam on the podcast before uh, and he obviously told us about uh, Spars, which both me and Matt have been on for yeah, sorry about like that. international. <laughs> yeah, <God>. sorry. <laughs> but can you tell us a bit more about your podcast? Absolutely. Yeah. And again, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for having Cam. I'm sorry about him. He, he can be quite tiresome sometimes, so I hope he wasn't too much work. Um, but yeah, Spy Hearts podcast, every week we decode a, a different spy movie all across the genre, basically. I mean, just looking at the next four weeks at the time of recording, we've got the 1980 Sean Penn film, The Falcon and the Snowman, followed up by Casino Royale 1967. Then the Cohen brothers, Burn After Reading, and then the 1995 Japanese anime Ghost in the Shell. So we go all over the place when it comes to spy movies. Uh, And luckily, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. So do give us a follow, but discreetly, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's a great show. We really enjoyed coming on board uh, for Men in Black in session. I mean, we enjoyed the recording of the podcast, not the watching (laughs) of the actual fucking movie. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, literally, like, you, you have a list on the show where you say like literally the good films make it through to the knock list mm. which Men in Black International cannot possibly be on well it actually posthumously did make a different list I the can't, shit I can't, the shit list yeah we called the disavowed list uh, where our worst of the worst right. end up and it did make that yeah. yes we have we have uh, yeah we've removed him from the list he's now disavowed we never mentioned that on Men in Black 2 ever again <laughs> uh, but we owe you a better film now I think we, we'll have to find uh, some sort of bridge we, uh, maybe we'll do an episode about our man Bashir and we'll just we'll just connect it there oh, you go yeah, I was, I was going to say I was almost when you brought that up so I was, I was almost surprised yeah. that neither of you chose that 
like given uh, uh, that. So I mean, that would certainly be fun to do. Yeah. That, that well, would, we just would stick with films. That's the thing. Like we've never done TV because it's it's such an undertaking to look at like a whole like, twenty four. It's twenty four episodes. It's super long, and there's yeah, like eight yeah, seasons. You've never done twenty four. You, you haven't done the the original Mission Impossible series, or anything no. Like that. We just don't touch TV. We just do films. It's it, um, we well, we might tackle TV down the line when we start running our films and start looking a bit uh, concerned that we haven't got things to talk about. <laughs> but uh, you know, to be well, f- we eventually had to tackle TV in our Star Trek podcast after starting off films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually. Like, oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean that would be. There's definitely, you know, some classic spy TV show. You don't have to do the entire bloody series, do you? You can just like focus on uh, an episode. I'm a completionist, man. Oh, bloody uh. hell. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't be watching like fucking ten seasons of Twenty Four for one episode of a podcast. <laughs> hey, but, people yeah. do it. People do do it. And fair but play. Mind to you, them. I suppose that you, you presumably you've seen Twenty Four, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've yeah, watched yeah. Twenty Four. So you don't have to watch it again, do you? You can literally. Just, I, like, too yeah. much beep booping in my ear. I don't. Need it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want yeah. to see Keith or something get tortured again. Uh, but yeah, everyone check out Spy Hard. It's a really, really great podcast. Thanks so much for coming on to the show, Scott. And thanks for bringing really, really strong two-parter in Year of Hell. Yeah, it's been oh, yeah. really, really great talking about that. Um, we will be back for another episode very soon. We are building up to our hundredth podcast. Not our hundredth actual episode because the episode numbering is so all over the place. But our hundredth podcast will be coming soon so that is very exciting so keep an eye on all our social medias at spotlight pod on instagram twitter and facebook uh, to find more information about that but until then live long and prosper people live long and prosper goodbye